Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. Happy Merry, holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Uh, and happy new year. Yeah, happy new year, everybody. Yeah, Christmas was intense this year. It kind of came up uh, a little bit quickly. I think everyone's just been really inundated with the nightmare of this entire year uh, coming to a head. So Christmas kind of came and went. Um, It was really nice to spend time with family. I hope everyone was able to get out of their own way with the depressing shit going on and just had a good time with their family and didn't go too deep into political discussions with your racist, uh, you know, relatives. But yeah, hopefully you guys had a good time. There were some funny things that happened uh, just around this time when it comes to Trump. You know, Melania likes to decorate the White House with these weird gothic, like, Christmas trees and shit. Like, uh-huh. all, like in a horror movie, like Krampus. This year, um, the weirdest thing about the photos was that all of these giant glass ornaments were just stuffed under the tree. <laughs> A deconstructed, uh, hellish Christmas uh, thing going on. I didn't actually. I'm look, trying to find a picture of it right now online. I didn't see that. I just saw it. Vic Berger posted it, photoshopped, and it was just really funny. <laughs> so there's just giant ornaments under the giant tree? ball ornaments, just like sitting huh. all under the tree, other than presents. It's just big glass ornaments because I guess the present is you just break the shards of glass and then there's your present, just glass shards. Merry Christmas from the Trump family. Um, we just watched the intro to eleven nine Fahrenheit eleven nine last night. Holy shit, that was nuts! Just seeing the inside of Trump HQ like on election night was extremely surreal. Yeah, I mean the the footage that they have inside the actual election night event, you know, when everybody thought Trump was going to lose, was very interesting to see because there's yeah, it's like pretty empty. The news media is commenting on how it's one of the smallest venues I've ever seen for this type of thing. It really is good to go back. I mean, if anything, even though Michael Moore gets, you know, he makes several missteps in the movie, it's great to go back and just see, to remember what happened. Because we've already forgotten that sort of inevitability wave that Hillary was on. Yeah, not visiting Wisconsin, having bad policies, not doing very many like local appearances and trying to like rally audiences definitely hurt her. But I feel like the inevitability thing that everybody just thought she was going to win and thought she had it in the bag is like hurt her more almost than anything else. The unbridled just arrogance. Yeah. And, and all and, of the blog. Yeah. And just like how Trump knowing how to play the media, being a media star for decades, mm-hmm. that was what he was known for. He knows exactly what to do to seize all the media talking points and yep. to seize the airtime. And he was going doing kind of walking interviews on the phone, which I guess was an unprecedented thing at the time. Phoners. Yeah, Phoners. You're not, you're, it's considered really, almost no celebrity can get a phone or interview. I mean, it's just it's just kind of unheard of. Yeah. You know, usually TV wants a visual. It's good for ratings. So it's crazy that Trump set that precedent during the campaign and then he just kept doing it and he still does it as president. He still does phoners constantly, like on Fox and Friends. And it was weird to see how the pundits and stuff thought it was amusing at first. They're like, oh, Trump's calling again. And the whole Les Moonves context of how he's horrible for America, but damn good for CBS. And I mean, just the airtime, though, of the empty podiums. It wasn't just one. It was like dozens. And it's just gross. Just watch the first like 10 minutes of Fahrenheit 11.9 just to remind yourself what actually happened and how it's no one's fault but these people and Hillary herself. 
for allowing this to happen. Mm -hmm. And what's really sad is here we are two years in, everyone's been blamed except the people who caused this. Yeah. Crazy. It is crazy. I mean, they've scapegoated, you know, a lot of convenient people, Russia, Mm -hmm. WikiLeaks. I mean, you can make the argument that releasing leaks only from one side of the people in the election was like giving one side an unfair advantage, but that's not, but the Hillary campaign hasn't even really tried to make the argument that the release of those emails actually cost them the election. So it's just a weird, I mean, it is a nonsensical narrative on so many levels. Who in the resistance has actually made a really good breakdown showing that these emails really hurt us here, here, and here, Mm -hmm. like it really did tip the balance to make us lose. Like no one's even really made that argument. So you strip down it, boil it down. It's like... You're totally right. It's more the argument about the Russian ads and bots online. Yeah. Yeah. I guess boosting the DNC stuff. Is that what they're saying that... Well, originally it was like Russia got those emails and got them leaked through WikiLeaks. Like laundered them through WikiLeaks. But I mean the the whole like Russia meddled in the election. It's almost... That's aside from how Russian trolls actually like shaped public opinion i guess so i mean and they also you know have shown such a low number of actual ads for something like seven thousand dollars worth of advertising was purchased on facebook by the ira michael moore is not the most edgy radical person but at least he understands you know some of that shit oh my god i mean well even fox news was saying when trump was clear that he was going to win that night they just immediately started talking about Michael Moore and they were like, like Michael Moore has been telling us all along. Mm-hmm. He knows what the white working class is really like. It's like, yeah, well, maybe you guys should have uh, paid more attention to that before the actual mm-hmm. election. So, yeah. And here we are. So here we are two years in. Uh, Trump is on the phone with little kids. You know, first we had like the the weird letters being sent in where Sarah Sanders would be able to kind of um, ward off the press questions with like half the time being spent reading letters from kids to Trump. Yeah, that, that was, was really very, surreal. Very it was like a very yeah. DPRK mm-hmm. style like propaganda thing that we 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 project onto countries like North Korea, except we were just doing it. Um, and then you have Trump just t- so goddamn out of touch with anyone <laughs> how to be a human at all. He's on the phone with a seven year old girl and saying, "Do you believe in Santa Claus?" He's like, "How old are you? Seven? He's like, "That's marginal." a marginal age really seven it's a very yeah, it'd be young interesting age. to see i mean i i don't know what how what kids are believing these days in terms of santa claus <laughs> but the weirdest part to me is that he would use a word like marginal <laughs> it shows that he just doesn't know and i think Lori said this earlier that he doesn't know how to modulate he's not even capable of modulating himself to like be able to relate to an actual child right like it just it just reveals that his personality is on some weird level and I don't I haven't seen him interacting with children before, so I don't really know <laughs> what he acts like, but it was strange. Yeah. And that w- one of the weirdest parts of that video to me was not just the conversation he was having. It was like there was like a loud crackling fire behind him that was like super loud in the video. And you like couldn't hear what he was saying. Very odd. In my opinion, I think that Trump is unruly enough where he doesn't even listen to the people who like surround a normal president in the white house to be like so here's how we make a, a video mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or here's how we stage a video for mm-hmm. a press conference like you should be over here you know don't have the fireplace on maybe if you have it on like just turn on the gas and we'll put a fake <laughs> log in there so it's not crackling like a fucking super loud over the audio and even the videos he releases on twitter they just seem like unprofessional and amateurishly produced compared to other official white house releases 
So on some level, it does make me think he's still running the show. You know, everyone's like, oh, he's not running anything, Mike Pence or anything. I get the opposite impression that he's just telling people that he doesn't want to do certain things that are like just regular tradition. Like, here's at a stage of press conference. Here's at a film a video. Yeah, like, like, remember the photo that he released of himself signing what he called was the wall, some sort of border bill or budget, and it was just a blank piece of paper. And uh and people were just like, we can zoom in on the photo and see that it's blank. Why are you doing this? Yeah, or even that picture he tweeted um, over the holidays where it was uh, the border wall, like MS Paint picture with the close-up on the spikes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, like, there has to be people. Yeah, we hear all this bullshit about the adults in the room. You know, Mattis was an adult in the room, John Kelly. But there actually has to be not adults in the room, but, like, professionals in the room who are seasoned and how to do all this PR. Of course. Who are, like, mortified at what Trump is just, like, not listening to anybody. It just, yeah. it just It's an inconsequential aspect of what's happening right now. But I would like to hear, like, an <laughs> insider leak from, like, just one of the guys whose job it is to, like, organize the professionality dude he's not listening to anything he won't even like let us put on the right makeup for him i can't even imagine how many things he just refuses to go along with yeah but then you're getting into the narrative <laughs> that he he's doing stuff like the troop withdrawal quote unquote and i'll well i'm, I'm not i mean i don't mean i don't mean the actual policy right, i just, just mean, mean like, like his image traditions and the image yeah, yeah curating he's a, his image he's right. been a celebrity forever right 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 curating his own image seems like something he he does at his own peril. It's very odd. One other comment about Fahrenheit 11.9 was the uh, the comments that Trump makes about Ivanka were really disturbing. Yeah, we see the photos and we've heard kind of like as a passing that Trump has said really inappropriate things about Ivanka, but really Michael Moore compiles them in a very disturbing montage where one of the clips, he's on some talk show and the person asks Ivanka, what do you have most in common with your father? And she says, golfing and something else. And then they ask Trump, what do you have most in common with your daughter? And he says, sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, in what fucking reality? Like, and he's like, I'm not supposed that? to say that or something. Yeah, and she's just, like, not even, she doesn't even look mortified as she should be yeah. with that comment. So, so I mean, on some level, yeah, like it, it does raise the possibility does Trump have some kind of incestuous relationship with Ivanka? That sounds, <laughs> seems over the top. What I get out of it is it almost seems like he's proud of his good-looking daughter in the same way like you'd be like proud of like a son who's become like a football star on the football Just team. Because his it's other like living kids vicariously are... through his daughter's sexuality. Because the other people are so inbred looking like that are spawns of his? Or... I mean, maybe. I don't. I think that has less to do with it other than the fact that he like on some level just living vicariously through his daughter being like this hot woman that he's like really excited about. This whole like lifestyle, yeah, is, yeah, like, it's all about running hot Miss women. USA, yeah, right, right. So it's like your son it's like is a, a trophy star. daughter. Yeah, Freud would say on some level he wants to be a sexy, beautiful woman. Yeah, you know, like just like a dad would want to be that hot football star they never got to be on the football team right. in high school, but now his son is. It's a weird. I mean, Trump does wear his like Freudianness, like psychology <laughs> on his sleeve sometimes. So it, I don't know. You have to wonder like what levels of actual like sexual predatory behavior has Trump been involved in like other than what we've seen him say on tape and right you know know, the leaked tape so well speaking of sexual behavior Kevin Spacey decided to do a big comeback Robbie Mm -hmm. um made a little video about himself playing Frank Underwood it's just so weird like again who is surrounding these people to say you know what pull the trigger this is a great idea yeah I mean so it was self-released it was professionally (laughs) shot on some level 
But the lighting, so here's what I noticed about it. So Kevin Spacey is like a seasoned theater actor. I mean, like he's like, before all this blew up, he was like very well-respected in theater, like one of the most well-respected guys out there. And he's totally missing the mark on what Frank Underwood's character was in House of Cards. If you watch a clip of Frank Underwood from House of Cards and then watch that video, it's like he's not. Yeah, it falls he's falls like, flat. He's he's off his game, uh, acting wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. He's like really trying really hard, but he's off. Something's right, off. Right, right, right. So it's it's interesting to watch for that reason. Does it seem like he's just irritated that he's even having to do this, or what? I don't think so. It like there's sh- almost like a biting. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to be like Frank, because Frank Underwood's like, you know, acts yeah, like an yeah, irritated, yeah. hard course, ass. So In a different way. Yeah, I I mean, I honestly, um, I have no fucking idea what he could possibly <laughs> be thinking, because if if he didn't have criminal indictments hanging over his head, maybe I could see him having the balls to do something this crazy. But literally on the same day, he just got charged with sexual right. assault in Nantucket. And I'm sure assaulting. he knew that was coming, right? I mean, maybe that's why he released the video. Which is it makes it even weirder because it's not like, um, you know, this is an actual criminal charges being processed right now about him assaulting an 18-year-old boy in a bar. Um, the boy saw him in the bar, was like really excited to meet Kevin Spacey, you know, celebrity. And then Kevin Spacey started to buy him rounds of drinks um, and he eventually got him drunk. And then when the boy was drunk, he just reached into his pants and <gasps> grabbed his dick. Wow. And... Apparently, this was like leading up to this situation where Kevin Spacey was already like trying to grab his dick. So the boy um, was told by one of his what like do you friends in the bar. Of, oh, eight, seven, 18. 18 year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was to- he was told by one of his friends you should film this. So he did on Snapchat. Apparently, handed over the videos to the police of Kevin Spacey trying to grab his dick. And then when Kevin Spacey went to the bathroom, one of his friends or another adult in the bar who witnessed it. And I don't know the exact story, but somebody told him to run, and he literally <gasps> bolted out of the bar. And then Kevin Spacey sent him a text later that night saying, I guess we lost each other. Because <laughs> he was going to take him to like another place. He said he was going to go to another bar and get him like more drunk. But maybe he would have wow. just taken him to like a hotel or something. Yeah. That is so sad because someone who's 18 and then they just see one of their favorite celebrities, you're going to yeah, do yeah, whatever yeah. that celebrity's putting on you. And I should mention that, that this is That's so sad. This is 2016, too. So this is not like an old incident. This was like right at the beginning I mean, of when the honestly, Me Too. I mean, honestly, the Richard Dre- I hate to keep calling him Richard Dreyfus's son <laughs> without actually saying his name. But that story still is one of the most disturbing stories about yeah. Kevin Spacey. That he did it in front of his dad in and was like, In front of yeah. Richard Dreyfus while they were practicing lines I mean, in he, his apartment. Yeah. It's like he is the character of Frank Underwood. Like that's he's like playing himself almost. I mean, except Underwood isn't like r- as rapey as the yeah, real yeah, Kevin yeah. Spacey is. Um, really quick shout out for Christmas. I know everyone's obsessed with Die Hard as their favorite Christmas movie, but we wanted to give a shout out to Scrooged and Gremlins, two of our favorite childhood Christmas movies that I feel like go under the radar mm-hmm. whenever the holidays come around. So Scrooged is just a, a total fucking brilliant um, film. One of I think Bill Murray is probably best acting. Especially the final scene, yeah. It was so excellent. He, he like, flips and becomes, like, a good person yeah. then. Out of all Bill Murray's movies, all the Jim Jarmusch ones, where he became, like, a serious actor and stuff, I still think back to that one. It's incredible acting. And there's comical moments, obviously, throughout. Yeah. So it's not like he totally abandons being funny. Mm-hmm. It's just a perfect mix. 
And also a really good feel-good holiday movie. And it's dark as fuck. It's like it really. Um, <laughs> I remember for a PG thirteen movie, I saw it when I was a child, and it like really disturbed me. Like the scene with the frozen homeless guy. Oh yeah. In the sewer. Spoilers the- if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's like it's kind of kind of like a timber. It's like almost like a darker Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. And the special effects in it are great. I mean, it's basically the Christmas story. You know, the visit the ghost of Christmas past. It's the Charles Dickens story, but done in a modern way, and it's it's great. And I think both Bill Murray's brothers are in it too, which is scrape them off. Yeah, scrape, scrape them, them the off, fuck off. That's my <laughs> motto for 2019. Scrape them the fuck off. In the movie, it's like a in a horrible uh, context, like because like these homeless kids like come to the table. He's like, <laughs> you always just say scrape them off, Claire, or something. But yeah, that movie is really fucked up. But it's it's um, it's a great film. I mean, I I think it's one of the better Christmas movies. And Gremlins, I mean, it's a classic. Yeah. And what's cool about Gremlins especially is it was it was it's a film done by a guy named Joe Dante who's one of my favorite filmmakers. He's done Inner Space, he's done The Burbs. Um, Burbs is the hands yeah. down the best movie of all I mean, time. he's done some incredibly good movies that kind of aren't appreciated to the level. Like I think Inner Space and The Burbs are like two of the best 80s. Oh. Or early 90s, I think Burbs kind of early down. 90s. Yeah. Like comedies ever made. But Gremlins is cool because and yeah, everything was eclipsed by Spielberg in the 80s, but it's interesting because it almost seems like a Steven Spielberg movie. And there was a, like a sort of a little run of movies in the early 80s that I spiritually link with Gremlins, like Goonies, which is another movie by Richard Donner, who also made Scrooge, which is kind of trying to be like a Spielberg movie also, was like presented by Steven Spielberg. And then there was from not, not long after that was Poltergeist, which is an excellent um, another excellent 80s movie, which is presented by Steven Spielberg, which is apparently directed by Tobe Hooper, the guy who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it was actually, apparently Spielberg just took it over. So it's like a, it feels like a Spielberg movie like Gremlins does. Why of. did Joe Dante never make more movies like that? I think, I good question. Well, he made Gremlins too. Right, well, they're doing is, a re- reboot of yeah. Gremlins now. It's probably going to be awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, after that, where... Well, he did Inner Space. He did The Burbs. I mean, he right, did. But I mean, he didn't like do any big movies. Years. You know, he's kind of like out of. He's like God. Retirement I would love right to now. see him come back. Yeah. It was just like weird movies again. Did he did some like movies that were considered really bad? Um, the oh, last, really? Like, Ten or fifteen years. He did Looney Tunes Back to Action with Brendan Fraser. I mean, I I still I wouldn't like be it. opposed to yeah. watching that again. No, I I like that shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, one quick thing about Gremlins, the matte paintings aspect of it. I didn't realize how prevalent matte paintings were mm-hmm. to have backgrounds of entire sets be just a painting. It was fascinating. And then also just watching it again, uh, how they genocided the all the Gremlins in the theater. They just like nuked the theater. Mm-hmm. Not nuked it, they but blew just blew it theater, up. Yeah. <laughs> like hundreds of Gremlins yeah. died. <laughs> I forgot that part. They throw in something. So it's kind of like a kid-friendly horror movie. So if you have kids out there and they haven't seen Gremlins... You can show it to them. It's tame enough. I mean, it's a dark movie, but it's like made for kids. But there's a very disturbing scene in the middle. So a warning, because someone actually was telling us this over the holidays, that they showed it to their kids and they forgot this one scene where the main character played by Phoebe Cates explaining why she hates Christmas. (laughs) And it's like this one minute long scene where she tells a story about how her dad left on Christmas Eve and then didn't come back home and he disappeared and she was nine years old and they called the police and the police were searching for him and 
and they had no idea what happened to them. And then one day after Christmas, when she was going to light a fire in the fireplace, she smelled a smell with her mom in the chimney. And uh, they found their father's decomposing corpse in the chimney dressed as Santa Claus. He was going to try to surprise them, come down the chimney dressed as Santa, and he broke his neck and died. <laughs> and his body was just decomposing and rotting in the chimney. It's a very disturbing story. It's just so funny that they sprinkled that in. Mm-hmm. It's like the scary, it's the scariest part of Gremlins, <laughs> for sure. So we have Anthrax Part 2 coming up. Stay tuned. We just really got sidetracked with a lot, and it's a lot to do. Um, a lot of research, a lot of clips to be pulled. So stay tuned. Be patient. That's coming in the new year. We also have the Jeffrey Epstein, Cernovich, Dershowitz, all of that, Me Too updates, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's coming soon, too. We just... We're kind of compelled to do a lot more research when we're doing themed episodes because we just don't want to miss anything. So this is kind of more of a wrap up, a grab bag episode, kind of focusing on the troop, quote unquote, withdrawal that Trump's doing. But yeah, stay tuned for those. We want to make them a lot more well-researched and solid. Also, quick plugs, Doug Pound. I was on the Doug Pound podcast recently with Brett Weinbach and Doug Pound himself. Um, Awesome dudes. Please support them. Mexi from Vegan Vanguard. She has an excellent podcast. My brother's been on it. Um, please support her. It's called Vegan Vanguard, and she's just also a really cool chick. And she has her own YouTube channel as well, which she does different. I think she does a different podcast on there. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So we did a whole episode, hour and a half, just about Palestine, and it was really, really excellent. Um, she's incredible. So please support her. Also, check out our previous episode of Media Roots Radio. We went over George H.W. Bush's true legacy. Uh, from the invasion of Granada to the highway of death to just his disgusting rejection of uh, the AIDS crisis as a real thing. Really shocking uh, to, to really go over what a monster that motherfucker was. So please listen to that. Sasha Baron Cohen, we wanted to briefly talk about his show and also, I mean, first of all, the Sasha Baron Cohen show is excellent. I had my suspicions before watching it just because I didn't like a lot of the shit that he did before with Borat and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But This was really amazing. I mean, the interview with Dick Cheney is just so surreal because Sasha Baron Cohen has a way of completely disarming people, no matter Mm -hmm. who he's around. And he can keep going with the character beyond, I mean, anything that I've ever seen to the point where he really does get people into a weak position where you had Dick Cheney. Actually, Dick Cheney is kind of like an aberration with the story because I feel like he is so proud yeah. of his like war making and torture and shit that I like he, you'd probably be able to get that out of him if you were anyone. But something about that Dick Cheney thing was so surreal because he was just proudly uh, endorsing all of the wars, the torture, he even signs an actual like waterboard kit um, and, and just happily. That's fucking nuts. But yeah, there's some other really crazy things. I mean, they try to infiltrate or like stage a quinceanera with a bunch of like racist anti-immigrant guys. Mm -hmm. That one was was extremely disturbing. Yeah. I mean, I should mention too that Nathan Fielder um, is a writer and apparently a director on some of the episodes. So so it actually feels somewhat like Nathan for you. Like some of the some of the actual setups are so elaborate elaborate and bizarre. Right. Um, yeah, but, like that one specifically. Yeah. I felt like Nathan was involved in. Yeah. The so if you, oh one. no, absolutely. So if you like, <laughs> if you like Nathan for you, and you really haven't checked out Sasha Baron Cohen, I mean, definitely check out Who Is America, because it has some similar, you know, things going on in it. Like I respected Sasha Baron Cohen. I always thought he was really talented, 
but I kind of felt like he was really milking shit with like the dictator and mm-hmm. you know doing like his last few movies. I really wasn't. I didn't even like Borat. You know, no, um, awful. But after seeing this, like I'm now, I now realize again. You know, like kind of like how I felt when I first watched the Ali G show that he is better skilled at getting people to like reveal themselves and say embarrassing shit more than almost like any other person trying to do that. And I mean, even just the non-political ones, like I don't even know if you saw this one where he pretends to be an ex-con artist who's trying to do like gallery showings where he does like a gallery, he tries to do a gallery showing of drawings made of his own shit. I didn't like that one. But in it, he sits down with that blonde art curator lady and then convinces her with very little prodding at all to cut off some of her own pubic hair and give it to him. Do you remember that? I she think I turned it off because I was like so disgusted. I know, but, the she, but and he actually, but he actually like gets her to give him some of That's her. That's really care. disturbing. It's nuts. Wow. It's, I mean, by far the best character is him <laughs> as an Israeli. Oh my god, like, general. Yeah, because he just looks so what an Israeli general acts like and looks like. Totally. And people immediately defer to him like he's like some ultimate authority. I mean, uh-huh. he goes to Congress and just being dressed as an Israeli general and pretending that he's from Israel. Everyone like bows down to him and they're like, oh, God, you're the Lord. I'll do whatever you tell me to. And he actually gets congressmen to like he do gets really them to crazy promote, shit on he camera. He gets them to promote um, arming guns children. for, pres- arming for preschool. Kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, arming three-year-olds or something. But yeah, they no, the Israeli general character is amazing. This story came out after the show was canceled. So it's only going to run for it's one only, season. It was canceled? Well, not canceled. I think they just didn't renew it. I mean, and he even said in an interview, he's like, the makeup part of it was like so much hard work. Like, I don't even know if I would want to do that again. Wow. But in the same interview, uh, the interviewer is like, yeah, what was like not included in the show that you really wanted to or that was crazy or whatever? And he said, well, this one... A thing we did we interviewed an la hotel concierge like a really fancy concierge um to try to just like request ridiculous shit that like a crazy celebrity would request to see what he'd say and in it he basically says he wants a child prostitute he's like younger than bar mitzvah age older than eight and the guy like says he can put him in touch with someone to arrange that which is just fascinating because you know with all this pizza gate and and pedophile conspiracy shit in the air. This kind of goes under the radar, but at the same time, what does it really mean? I mean, I don't know. But it is crazy that a con- L.A. hotel concierge would, like, agree to arrange something like that. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Well, Robbie, that just proves Pizzagate. Yeah. I love how that that proves Pizzagate. Anything that exists yeah. in terms of pedophilia or sex trafficking, that automatically just proves With the young theory. people, yeah. Yeah, there Well, you that's go. why, that's one of the weird things about the beginning of the Trump administration is they did, like, a war on... Sex workers, basically. Yeah. And and did a bunch of, like, sex worker crackdowns. And all the Pizzagate people were like, this is proof. Talk about this Rand Paul thread. Oh, yeah. He did a he did an incredible, um, I believe it was a Christmas Eve tweet, tweet storm, but he called it a Festivus tweet storm. <laughs> um, a fucking idiot. Because he's, you know, he wants He's to, super hip, dude. He yeah. loves Seinfeld just he, like us. He loves Seinfeld just like us. He did, like, a 20-tweet tweet thread starting with him building a teepee like in the on the beach out of like logs saying like i'm i sent something about elizabeth he said i found elizabeth warren yeah so maybe he got high or something i don't know what was happening but the thread continued where he was just extremely excited acting (laughs) that trump had some apparently ended all the wars and he was like i didn't approve john bolton uh getting hired but 
man, I would have loved to be in the room when Trump told John Bolton he has to end all the wars. What the? And then he just went on and on and on about how Lindsey Graham must be having a really bad night tonight because Trump is pulling out all the troops. Holy and then he showed a picture of Emperor Palpatine saying, I don't know another senator besides this guy who wants to stay in the wars. And he shows Emperor Palpatine. And just going on and on and on. And all I could think about the whole time I was looking at the thread was, what a fucking coward, man. He was actually, I kind of had a little bit of respect again for him when he was saying, like, I will not nominate Gina Haspel. I will do, he basically was saying he would filibuster Mm -hmm. Pompeo and Gina Haspel. He didn't, I don't think he had voted for Gina Haspel, but he didn't filibuster because here's what happened. The motherfucker was invited to a private Oval Office face-to-face chat with Trump with Pompeo in the room. And apparently, Rand Paul claims they convinced him that they are anti-war or something. That they're like anti-the Iraq war or something. And it's like, here's Wait, the thing. what? Yeah. And here's the thing, though. And, and Rand Paul is still saying that Trump rightfully understood the folly of the Iraq war. And he was like, anti-the Iraq war. That is actually not true. Uh, no, the, yeah, the mainstream media, as terrible as they were, there's a brief moment during the 2016 campaign where they showed that he was actually lying about always being against the Iraq war. He changed, just like every other motherfucker did, he acted like it was a bad war after it was clear to everyone that it was going to be a disaster. Like, and, and this is not, this is totally true. He was for the war at the same Absolutely. time everyone else was That's for it. That's on camera. He, or yeah. He was on Howard Stern talking about so it. So the guy, this this guy just blows in the wind and just does whatever he thinks is going to gain him the most points. And I just, I'm surprised that people don't, don't see that. Well, I so. think Rand Paul's doing this very strategically because he got accolades from Trump for praising him. Yeah, he, and Trump he, retweeted him. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's all he wanted. And also he's just sending signals to his base that he can still... You know, he, he's smart enough to know that Trump's not pulling us out of the wars, but he just knows that this is helping his political career and, and he wants to get on Trump's good side. Who the fuck would want to be on Trump's bad side? Yeah, and Trump... Someone like Rand Paul. And we'll go into this later. Not but that that's Trump, giving him an excuse. Trump knows how many points this will win him from certain sectors exactly. of like the, of not just his base, but even on the left too, which we'll talk about later, oh, which is God. really alarming to see people praising him from the left. But Rand Paul... Tried to get me fired when I first started RT. I confronted him in the halls of Congress in an unauthorized meeting. I guess if you are a credentialed journalist on the Hill, you have to have things uh, very um, structured. You have to have everything pre-coordinated with any congressman or Mm -hmm. representative. So you either have to have a predetermined meeting, um, follow all the rules. And if you see someone walking around, don't fucking talk to them because they will try to charge you with stalking and harassment, which is what Ron Paul did to me. Rand Paul. Um, I simply asked him a question about why he was endorsing Mitt Romney. You know, next thing I know, he's sending threats to RT, threatening to not only pull my press credentials, but everyone else's at the network. And this was before the launch of Cold War 2.0. That's very interesting. Yeah. That makes me wonder what, why, like, now that I'm looking back on that, like, so I don't want to go off on yeah, this too yeah, long, yeah. but like, you had do have to remember that he was sort of, together with all those anti-Iran deal people, he signed that letter that Tom Cotton, who was oh obviously- Oh my God. Yeah, Bill Crystal. Oh, that's, I forgot about that. That's what yeah, we really Bill realized Bill Crystal, yeah, put out, got his puppet Tom Cotton to do this like PNAC style letter. Rand Paul signed on to it. And also at the same time, John Bolton, before Rand Paul jumped on that anti-Iran deal letter, John Bolton was spending thousands of dollars with his super PAC trying to ruin Rand Paul's reelection attempts by showing like mushroom clouds exploding. 
like with the at the dinner table. Remember that video, that campaign? That's ad? hilarious. And it was dude. an anti Rand Paul campaign ad done by the John Bolton Super PAC. That's amazing. Yeah, using the same tactics as like LBJ. It's like yeah, same yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> Hundred years later, um, so Liz Wall. People may know Liz Wall as the puppet for Bill Crystal's think tank, the FPI, the Foreign Policy Initiative, which was, of course, was an iteration of PNAC. She was also uh, my colleague at Russia Today. She had worked there three years more than I had. Anyway, long story short, for people who, who already know this story, she kind of hijacked my um, on-air statement criticizing RT, which actually gave the network credibility because I was able to pay editorial freedom. She hijacked that momentum which was engineered by the neoconservative think tank um, run by Bill Crystal. She hijacked that to make it about her. She resigned live on air. Turns out uh, this think tank engineered everything, wrote the speech and her subsequent press tour. She really thought that she was going to be able to get like a job on Fox um, and, and it really fell flat. So what did she end up doing? She ended up shilling, literally doing Hasbro for the Israeli government and NATO so you saw her kind of bouncing around um, Eastern Europe doing these kind of anti-Russia press conferences. I think she briefly did a stint where she testified about Russian propaganda on the Hill. You know, you see this a lot when people are really desperately trying to make a name for themselves and become popular and celebrities. And then it falls flat and then you see them kind of rebrand themselves later on. So I wasn't too surprised to see that Liz Wall decided to run for Congress. Uh, a little bit shocking because she has literally no support so, Except for she was actually, we just found this out, um, and I don't remember who originally reported, but she was, she was actually being paid. Yeah, by the, was it the UK government? Um, yeah, I think it was the UK government. Yeah, so yeah. she was. She there's an actual paper trail now of her getting government funding, right? For doing some of this shit. Oh, she was getting. Oh, she's been getting government yeah. funding. But yeah, that but was we didn't another know, one. We didn't have. Pr- I mean, right. do we actually we have, have proof? Paper. Yeah, I mean, we never had proof that Bellingcat's organization, who who knows who's actually funding them, actually played for her plane tickets but we know that they did yeah because i mean well, like, she's not gonna fly herself yeah. to europe she was doing be... like a tour with elliot higgins which is very interesting because here you have the complete opposite sides of the spectrum like this guy who's like very well respected like he acts like he's an academic even though he mm. has no real forensic training touring with like a fucking airhead <laughs> like shill of the neocon think tank and uh and obviously at some on at some point in time he realized it was not uh, useful to associate himself with her because she dropped out of the scene. I mean, she's like gone now. Yeah, she was gone for for a year or something. Yeah. Um, and then she pops up, kind of parachutes into Texas, which I find odd in itself. Like Carpet, carpet bagging her way yeah. into Texas to run for Congress. Is her husband even from there or anything? No, her husband's like a military guy in D.C. But the most hysterical thing about this, even though she had all this state backing to propagate these anti-Russian theories everywhere... What's most hilarious is that she launched this big like fundraiser to run called Fighting for Truth and Integrity in Congress. Liz Walls running for Congress. And she only raised a little over $1,000. And guess what? Half of that was from her. Um, Alex Rubenstein from Sputnik saw it was just open. It was visible. You can see like who donates to mm-hmm. you. And she was too stupid to remove her own name for donating to her own campaign of $500. I yeah. mean, it was so sad when I first saw that. I was like, oh, how sad. Her mom gave her $500. I was like, oh, wait, Elizabeth. Well, I was like, that's you. Mm-hmm. You did that. And then she even admitted it. Alex was like, did you donate to your own campaign? And she was like, uh, people donate a lot more to their own campaigns. And then she deleted the comment. And then 
made her her donation to herself anonymous. So and then she blocked. That's where Alex. she's at. Yeah. So it's really sad. It's like she can't even step her little pinky toe into the waters of like <laughs> pu- the public dialogue without like getting like completely embarrassed. I actually do feel kind of feel sorry for her. Man, you really latch yourself to the wrong horse, man. Like to act like she's even an expert on propaganda or, or she didn't even give any real insight to what it was like working for no. RT. If she had actually provided some like insider dirt or some any anything that seemed like credible, then I'd be like, okay, I could kind of understand. She's done for. Like she doesn't have anything to provide really for these people anymore. So it is sad that she's just trying to run for Congress and stay relevant in politics. What's sad is that she can't, she doesn't even have like, people throwing cash at her that are part of the system you would think yeah no that's what i'm saying it's like they've almost seen that she's not useful in any sense (laughs) you know what i mean yeah like you think about what's happened since her resignation what does it even matter so talk about this amazon alexa story we hear a lot about uh amazon's alexa as kind of a surveillance device i don't Mm -hmm. have one in my home for that reason even though i know i'm being surveilled in other ways but yeah it's kind of like why plant Uh, what you know is a surveillance device in your home. But Mm -hmm. of course, a lot of people aren't thinking that way and everything's a smart device now and everything has multiple microphones. So I like to just remind people that all cell phones are surveillance devices and it's not just because they have microphones and cameras in them. It's because all of the quote unquote free apps you download Mm. use your personal data. That's how they make, it's not really free. They're using you as a commodity and using your data to monetize it. So, and this was actually something Facebook Messenger many years ago announced that their messenger app was now going to listen quote unquote listen mm-hmm. in the background to advertise to you mm-hmm. or to suggest you tv shows or restaurants but what does that mean it means they're recording you <laughs> at all times yeah if you have the app so that's been going on for a long time so we're already really fucked that we've accepted this and there hasn't been like mass you know, and I tell people that us. too, because because I talk often about how I get targeted advertisements of things that I don't write about, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I just talk about. And so of I course. deleted the Facebook app a long time ago. A lot of people have no idea. Think about it. Why would Facebook make you download a separate application to read your messages? Yeah, because I know it's not just Facebook Messenger. It's obviously many other apps that are doing this too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we know Google's been sniffing emails for advertising for you know with a with an algorithm for long ass time. So this is not that shocking, but it is just an example of how deep we are into this hell zone and how hard it's going to be to climb out. Um, so Amazon Alexa is a product that's been out for a few years. Um, it's sort of like trying to be like a Siri that you just sit on your desktop and ask questions and ask the time, the weather, whatever. The fuck. I mean, I don't even understand these things because to me, voice recognition technology is still pretty poor it doesn't ever work no so it's like i don't even i feel like people's standards are like very low faster to just type shit in and search it dude like it fucks up so i just don't understand it first of all i'm going off on a tangent already but basically the story is the eu passed something that's actually a good form piece of legislation two years ago called the gdpr act which allows any eu citizen to request personal data that's been obtained by a corporation. So you can request it almost like a freedom of information request. German citizen named Martin Schneider, who just has an Amazon account, right? He doesn't own an Alexa. I need to say that up front. Put in his request as an Amazon account holder. That's even weirder that he didn't even have an Alexa. Exactly. Wow. He was immediately alarmed. So he got a gigantic zip file back. So at first he's like, hmm, this is really big. That's weird. 
but he didn't think anything of it. So he started to unzip it, but was immediately concerned and alarmed that there was over 17,000 audio file recordings in the zip. So for just having an Amazon account, he was confused. And as he started listening to them, he realized that they were from someone's Amazon Alexa that wasn't his, but it was all from the same person. So Amazon actually sent back a request to the wrong person. Um, and I, and I've, I'm not sure if I'm correct on this, but I think he was actually a U.S. citizen too, which is even stranger, so that they could make that bad of a fuck wow. up. But here's the craziest part of the story, is that Alexa had 17,000 audio recordings of just someone who owned an Alexa. Like, not on the Alexa device itself, like but on the cloud. On the cloud, like yeah. on Amazon's fucking right. cloud. Right. And that's nuts. And <laughs> the journalists who, and if you type Amazon Alexa on Google News right now, Nothing comes up with this story. Like, this story is being very buried. You have to remember, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. He's a media mogul mm-hmm. now. Amazon is probably very good at massaging the news to get their bad stories out of the press. Bernie Sanders brought something up recently, and that was actually kind of surprising about how Amazon workers are work to the bone. But the story is not anywhere right now. And the journalists who were investigating it, they, they were given the recordings. They sort of ethically kept them private and researched enough about the recordings and what was in them to find out who they belonged to. Mm, that's fascinating. Yeah, and then they contacted the guy, and he was absolutely horrified. Can you imagine? Basically, you're giving shit over to someone who can hear you have sex, mm-hmm. masturbating, yeah. uh, taking showers, having political conversations, yeah. telling your deepest, darkest secrets. It's absolutely startling. Well, to me, it's even weirder when you think, even without that, like yeah. even if you're not being recorded fucking or masturbating yeah. or in front of your webcam jerking mm-hmm. off, which probably mm-hmm. 90% of the population does anyways while they're watching porn on their mm-hmm. computer, even just Google. Right. Now, porn used to be something like you'd get VHS tapes, you'd go to porn websites that would have videos you could buy or whatever, but now it's you search for the porn you want in Google. Oh, right. Imagine right. like the data and the sexual secrets people have just on that alone. Um, you can like compromise someone and like ruin them with that kind of information. Well, that's been that's something we've been talking about for a long ass time because yeah. you knew a Google employee who had actually told you that he had looked up someone's search history. It's it's, it's everything. Crim- it's a, yeah, I mean, to it's me, it's almost. Above. Let's just oh, say this. God. And uh, yeah, getting an audio recording is horribly invasive. But unimaginable yeah, right. it's Google like cold war era crazier. like you have a it's almost like you have a bug in your house recording what you do but this to me is almost crazier because it's like your search history you can gather more data more quickly to understand someone than you'd have to it's sift like your mind. through hours it's seriously yeah. your mind exactly yeah yeah i mean and that's really creepy that that's been around for forever man <sighs> wow yeah two children from guatemala have died in border patrol custody which is just absolutely abhorrent um for the second time this month, a Guatemalan child has died. Um, he was eight years old. His name was Felix Gomez Alonso. He died on Christmas Eve, and he's been detained since December 18th. So it turned from a cold into a death within like a 12-hour span. We know already that they're being abused. There's been Border Patrol agents on camera saying that they enjoy the sounds of wailing children because it sounds like mm-hmm. music to their ears. So, yeah, um, I'm not surprised that kids are actually dying there, but um, some shit has to change. Obama did it too, Abby. Why didn't you complain about Obama? Why <laughs> didn't you say anything about Obama doing all this shit to kids? Um, it's just so weird because the people who always say that, it's like, well, do you care about what's happening? No, you don't. 
It just can you imagine fleeing death and misery? Like, because that's why these people are coming here. It's not because the American dream. It's not because they want to leech off of our welfare. It's because they are fleeing actual results of U.S. policies, regime change, brutality, um, death squads, uh, drug trafficking. We can look at the 56 military interventions in Latin America alone um, that have destabilized the region for decades. So look at the coup in Honduras, uh, El Salvador. So all of these things are happening as a result of the empire's policies. That's a pretty apparent thing. So, yeah, can you imagine fleeing, fleeing that situation, coming to the U.S. as your only lifeline and then just having your kid die waiting for an asylum trial? It's sick, man. It's totally sick. This immigration thing goes along with the quote unquote troop withdrawal because because it really goes hand in hand. Because let's say you're looking at Trump as a quote unquote isolationist. Mm -hmm. And if that's the narrative that you want to go on him, quote unquote, withdrawing troops from Afghanistan and Syria. Well, the isolationism current in the right wing is to wage a war at home against immigrants and brown people. They think that we're wasting resources and Mm -hmm. blood with kind of, you know, young white American males in the Middle East, and they would rather see those people here fighting the war at home. Well, that's exactly, it's interesting you said that, because that's, that Trump tried to sort of reinforce that framing in a tweet. He said, Right after the the troop thing. So he's trying to promote the illegal immigration thing by acting like he's anti-interventionist with protecting other countries' borders. So why don't we focus on protecting our border? It is a really interesting power play the classic Bannonite mm-hmm. strategy talking point, and it, but it but it falls flat because he isn't an isolationist. So we're going to get into that. But that's why this immigration shit is is ramped up so much. I think because he's playing directly into that base, um, and and that and right after this troop shit, he's talking about the border cartoon, taking a cue from Netanyahu, mm-hmm. the little images of the border with the spikes, and then, you know. Talk about a bad Veep episode. Did you see the DHS press release? No. It was him saying, DHS is committed to building wall and building wall quickly. What the hell? Weird. It's an actual That's press what I was saying earlier. DHS. That's what I was saying earlier. It's like, do people, are people just like, okay, man, fucking write it yourself. <laughs> like, I, I've already tried to tell you what to do. You're not going to let me like explain to you what we've, the normal protocol is. So yeah, just write it yourself. We won't yeah. even spell check it for you. And and check out how sadistic and evil this is to its core. The Trump government put out a call asking legal immigrants to sponsor some of the kids that were being detained. Did you hear about this, Robbie? They were asking no legal immigrants to step up and try to sponsor kids, preying on people's empathy and goodwill as, a, as normal human beings that don't want kids in cages being tortured at the border. And then that ended up being a giant sting operation to raid them. Wow. What's crazy? Yeah. No, I never, he didn't hear anything about I mean, that. all of this is going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, what's... And then the only thing the press is reporting on, you know, is like the... Is just Trump's bizarre displays about this. I mean, he released an official video on... I don't know if you saw this Twitter video release where he's like... The Demo- He's like, we need the Democrats' votes. He was like talking about the shutdown and why he did it. Oh and then... God. And he's just saying weird shit in the video. He was like, call it a Democrat shutdown. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> And it's just like, what a fucking weird. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. And then he tweeted, poor me, that he's alone in the White House on Christmas. Did you see that already? Like, let's just say you believe in all his policies. Aren't you confused and alarmed by just his behavior, like in public? 
I just don't get it. I mean, no, I, people think it's funny. I mean, it just all feeds into the whole trolley. Yeah, I guess stuff. so. Well, here's the big news, Rob. Did you hear Trump is ending all of the wars? He's ending the U.S. Mm-hmm. empire. I did hear that. Or that's in, huge. Yeah. Dude. Or according to some le- supposed leftist anti-imperialist, he's he's withdrawing the empire around the edges. So I, so I've seen people saying that, like like I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be dumb enough to actually make a statement saying he's withdrawing the empire, but I will act like he's withdrawing it around the edges. Something that Obama... What does that mean? Obama never did. Well, what does that mean, around the edges? I don't know, because the edges just keep growing every day. All presidents, to some degree, have increased the empire right. and then pulled back certain, maybe some aspects around the edges when, when they lose a war. Or, I, so I don't, I'm not sure why... People are saying that. But what is interesting is people really uh, believe his rhetoric still. We're doing a big Empire Files series, not just report a series on how Trump is expanding the empire in literally every single region of the world, including Iraq, including Syria, including Afghanistan. And I'm going to talk about why. Um, But when you see these numbers and when you see the actual facts, uh, that narrative becomes really fucking stupid. Um. And it just means that people haven't done their research or even have tried to do their research, which alarms me because in this media climate, you need to do research and you need to think about what you're putting out there. Um, And you really need to do your research about what is actually going on in terms of the expansion of the military and what Trump is doing behind the scenes. Especially the cherry, let's just say, especially the cherry picking that people do of his supposed anti-interventionist rhetoric. Right. It's like, if you look at that all in a vacuum and cherry pick it, it's compelling. I will acknowledge that bef- that even during the campaign, I was very intrigued by it. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people on the left were. And that's understandable because we d- it was a wild card. We didn't know what we yeah, were going to yeah, yeah. get. But we've had two years now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and the only thing we got is him just acting like he's going to withdraw the troops when he's like in the middle embroiled in like several potentially impeachable scandals. He hasn't been building up to this. He hasn't been saying, I'm going to withdraw the troops. Like I'm go- It's just like he's been like wild card about it the whole time. But war- much worse is what you're going to go into about how he's actually expanded it. Right. So this is a huge misnomer in itself to say Trump is, quote, withdrawing the troops. Because the troops that he is, quote, unquote, withdrawing are troops that he himself added. He himself added the troops that he is withdrawing. It's very, very important to understand that. Yeah, well, I was going to say before we get into the Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq part, I wanted to say that um, at first glance, yeah, this does seem to play into that narrative that Trump is, you know, an anti-interventionist. And and the thing is that liberal media, of course, corporate media outlets and, and, and Hillary Clinton herself are playing into that, too. They're saying Trump's isolationism is dangerous. This is like making America way more dangerous. So it's just emboldening his camp and that false narrative, which is super disturbing. Not surprising, but disturbing. Exactly. Not only has the media been pushing Trump from the right yet again when it comes to war and foreign policy, mainly Democrats who still are pretending that we're like in Syria to protect human rights or something. It's just mm-hmm. fucking laughable. They're mm-hmm. like, we can't withdraw now. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? What do you think this is? The U.S. official policy is to overthrow Assad. U.S. official policy in Afghanistan is to destroy the Taliban and for mm-hmm. regime change there. Like, what do you think this is? Um, but not only that, they're praising Mattis as the adult in the room. And I wanted to quickly debunk that because he's a war criminal. And how hilarious is it for liberals and stuff to be like, Mattis was the only sane one. Really? 
He's so fucking sadistic. Not only did he gleefully say how much he enjoys shooting people, he says it's a hoot to kill mm-hmm. people. He said he has a plan to kill everyone he meets. That's like how fucking militaristic his brain is from being a general for so long. He's ordered several massacres. He he was the architect of the Fallujah annihilation that killed thousands and okay. thousands of people. Which was which was, if we remember correctly, was revenge for the Blackwater, the four Blackwater guys getting strung up. And the legacy of the U.S. military in Fallujah is worse than Hiroshima. Oh yeah, I believe it. So that's Mattis's real legacy. Yeah. Um, he also ordered the bombing of a wedding party in an Iraqi village in 2004. And then when um, he, he had a, basically a kill everything that moves rules of engagement order. And when he was asked about it, because he covered up the Marines that committed all these massacres and made sure they walked away unscathed. And when reporters asked him about it, he said, I don't have to apologize for anything my troops do. I don't have to apologize for the conduct of my men. So... He's he's out, right? He's he's resigned uh, out of horror that Trump has withdrawn the troops. He's replaced with what do you know? A Boeing executive, Patrick Shanahan, who replaced him as acting defense secretary. This is a guy who worked at Boeing for 32 years as his VP. So, you know, again, removing the veneer, removing the mask, uh, removing that kind of semblance of like space between, mm-hmm. you know, one degree of separation between the defense contractors and literally running the Pentagon. So that's very disturbing. But also, like, can we stop fucking the pretenses here about what U- U.S. foreign mm-hmm. policy is about now that Boeing is in charge? Yeah, Boeing is, I think, either the number one or two military defense contractor in the world. Boeing is one of the only military defense companies that makes a lot of other stuff too. Mm -hmm. So people don't realize that they are like the number two. I mean, they made a lot of airplane engines, a lot of airplanes. Um, But yeah, defense contracting is their number one thing. That's another example of him taking the mask off. So it is a very strange thing that while he announces this is like the, the end of these wars, he would hire someone like that. Everybody's not like, wow, that's so bizarre that Trump would think we could believe that he's going to end the wars while hiring the the guy from Boeing. Like this is that's crazy that he's dumb enough to think we're going to fall for right. this. Instead, a bunch of people on the left didn't even mention that. I mean, I saw Greenwald, I saw dozens of people on the left who should know better not even mention that at all and then like just lawyerly arg- wiggling their way out of all the arguments and like I saw like Jeffrey St. Clair from Counterpunch Going after Greenwald and other people saying, like, you really think Trump is doing this? Like, why? Like, how could you think that? Because of this, this, and this. Just buying into any of Trump's rhetoric is a bad idea in general. Again, there are only 2,000 total troops there. Right. There's still a bunch of uh, aircraft carriers, airstrikes, you know, planes being flown over the country constantly. Trump didn't say those are going to be removed. But is that what he's really saying? Like, or is he just talking about ground troops? See, this is all very unclear. Where is the actual policy on paper of what he's going to do? Well, first of all, I didn't even know that there were troops in Syria because there weren't during Obama's term. He just had a couple advisors on the ground. So, so that's I thought really it was something bizarre. like 200. Yeah, so 200. Yeah. So it Less was like than in, 300 troops, let's just say. Yeah, so, so, so Obama did put troops in Syria when he, after he promised he wasn't going to. But it was a very small amount and Trump like literally and it was like increased it like ops. 10 times. Yeah, yeah. He, he increased it 10 times but like you said, Robbie, the U.S. was already occupying 30% of Syria. Mm-hmm. On top of that, Israel has increased its bombing campaigns throughout Trump's tenure. Israel barely bombed Syria during Obama's tenure. Uh-huh. We already know the history between Israel and the and Obama administration. You're telling me that Israel is bombing Assad's forces without coordinating 
with Trump. So right after announcing this quote unquote mm-hmm. withdrawal, um, Israel bombs Assad's forces on Christmas. Yeah. That is not happening without a green light from the mm-hmm. U.S. So get that out of the way. There's been a huge, massive increase in bombing and civilian casualties in Syria. Not to mention the fact that Trump was actually the first person to directly bomb Assad from Mar-a-Lago over chocolate cake very flippantly, which could have caused fucking World War Three. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, just the air raids and bombing that Trump has been doing. In 2017, the number of U.S.-led airstrikes in Iraq and Syria increased by 50%. Increased by 50%. And Trump told us during the campaign trail, he said he's going to change the rules of engagement. He's going to bomb the shit out of ISIS. Essentially just saying he's going to carpet bomb neighborhoods. Um, He did not care about civilian casualties. And that's been crystal clear with the amount of casualties that has happened under Trump. So in Syria alone, bombing increased 50%. Civilian casualties increased 250% there. 250%, Robbie. That's how many people died under Trump. And we're just talking about Syria right now. As I mentioned before, this is happening in every region of the world. But I'm focusing on Syria, obviously, because when you compare the withdrawal of troops that you added... And add on top of that a massive amount of bombing and civilian casualties. I mean, it's is there anything praiseworthy about that at all? No. I mean, there's, <laughs> there shouldn't be from anybody, um, especially people on the left who are anti-imperialist. But one of the problems I see is that somehow this idea of bombing ISIS, being over there to bomb ISIS and to get rid of ISIS, is passively accepted on the anti-imperialist left. And I find that very strange because I just assumed that any, you know, it didn't matter what the group was or how heinous they were or whatever, that there was always, there would always be like a, a contingent of like the anti-war world or the anti-imperialist left that would always oppose all forms of military, U.S. military intervention, bombing, whatever. But when we reach this weird tipping point where after ISIS started releasing these horrifying videos I really feel like even people on the left anti-imperialist scene dehumanize ISIS. to the, Like not just ISIS, but like the people who fight among them, they look at them almost like animals and somehow they've accepted that they're just going to be endlessly bombed. Like that's, that's okay now somehow, which I find very odd. But I think that Trump has seized on that and that's also why these increase in civilian casualties is not a big deal. It's not as big a deal to people as it should be. Because if these 250 civilian casualties percent increase was done trying to take out Assad's army, then people would be outraged from the same group of like, people that I'm talking about. But since it's bombing ISIS, it's like not even a concern. And I just find that odd. I mean, yeah, overthrowing Assad would be a terrible idea. It'd be like an imperial plan that's been long in the works and we shouldn't do that. But why bombing ISIS is okay. But it's also just the rhetoric of bombing ISIS. I mean, how do we know what the hell is going on? We already know that there was a lot of kind of Air Force cover for ISIS affiliates on the ground in Syria. And that's something that I think gets lost in this larger Syrian argument. All we hear about is every fighter is Al-Qaeda. There's these, all these weird distorted talking points out there. But that is one real one that's really bad that gets completely lost in the shuffle. The Obama administration was even doing this too. It's, mm-hmm. And it's obvious. Think about it just from a geo, not even geostrategic, but just regionally. The more, I, the more territory ISIS takes over, the better it is for our regime yeah. change plans against Assad because the more ground he loses with his forces, 
So it's just strange to me that that argument wasn't presented more. On some level, we're enabling and allowing ISIS to take over more territory. And also just the relationship with Saudi Arabia, Hillary Clinton on these WikiLeaks cables saying that she knows that Wahhabism is the most direct cause of the ideology. It is really sad in the vacuum, of course, caused by U.S. foreign policy. But I, I just don't even take the rhetoric at face value because just like the war on terror, I know, we know yeah. that the Afghanistan war wasn't because of freedom. We know that Syria is not because of democracy. And we know that they're not bombing to eradicate ISIS or free anyone obviously don't take things at face value of what they're saying at press conferences. Like you should probably ask more questions about what is going on behind the scenes. Of course. And I think we really lost an opportunity or, I mean, it's gone several years now where people on the left actually use the word terrorists, you know, to describe the people, you know, whether you think ISIS is like the most disgusting, you know, fascist organization on the planet. It's just, to me, it's just strange to hear anybody calling, you know, from the left anti-imperialist world saying that word. Well, it's the dehumanization, like you said, Robbie, when the AUMF, the authorization for use of military force after 9-11, of course, we know Barbara Lee was the only one who opposed it. And what did that do? That kind of charted a new era of warfare and bombing. That was an endless war. You can wage it anywhere in the world under the guise of fighting Al-Qaeda and its affiliates. And that has morphed now into something that's just all-consuming and all encroaching. I mean, it's really happening everywhere. It's never ending. The wars go on and on. But at that time, people were outraged. They were outraged about the initiation of the war on terror. They were outraged about bombing seven countries under Obama. So I guess my question is, how did we go from being outraged about the extrajudicial assassinations, the drone strikes, the war on terror as a premise to now kind of accepting that, well, we got to do something about ISIS because ISIS are now worse than the Nazis were. So now we have to fucking get rid of ISIS. Yeah. They're terrorists, they're head choppers, and kind of this weird support of like Russia bombing ISIS. But, but it's like Russia is actually threatened by ISIS. That's their border. But for some reason, the whole like admonishing the U.S. for just relentlessly bombing Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq under the guise of bombing ISIS just kind of falls by the wayside. And I don't understand when that shift happened. I, I, I'm really struggle with this, honestly, because I cannot relate to a lot of the d discussions about Syria because I feel like a lot of people buy into these strange tropes that I just thought from the Bush era were like complete propaganda, you know? So to hear people saying them now, I, I'm just completely baffled by it. And also bombing breeds terrorism. Isn't that like the most basic well, yeah. fundamental thing that we can all agree on? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter who the target is. <laughs> right. It's like just indiscriminate bombing for this long. In Afghanistan, when Trump dropped the Moab, the mother of all bombs, first of all, that's a direct affront on Muslims, the mother of all cities, Mecca, and naming this bomb, the mother of all bombs is sick in itself. But also when he dropped that bomb on Afghanistan on alleged ISIS caves, we were all kind of perplexed. Like, when did ISIS come into Afghanistan? And then there was just no follow-up about how many casualties were there? This is a bomb blast with a mile radius. Yeah. And Mattis at the time, this fucking war criminal psychopath said, that's a horrible use of our troops time to dig through tunnels to count bodies. So we have no idea how many people actually died. But that was barely discussed or yeah. followed up with because, again, the talking point was, well, we dropped them on ISIS caves. Moving on now. Yeah, next no, chapter. Totally right. It was yeah. so fucking weird. It's like, what are you talking about? Mm hmm. 
I just don't get how this is so oversimplified. Yeah, it's like the oversimplification of Hamas in Gaza. Exactly. Like everyone's Hamas. And it's yeah. like you, you work in the government, you're Hamas. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's a Hamas target because they just live in Gaza. Uh-huh. The same thing with ISIS. Whatever territories ISIS takes over, if you're a fucking civilian, watch out because the U.S. Mm-hmm. will bomb the shit out of you if you just live in the vicinity of someone in ISIS. Lots of people on the left were celebrating this apparent withdrawal in ways that I know. And just going back to us, like you and I were completely skeptical of this proposal that Obama was going to end the Iraq war. We didn't believe it. Even when he pulled out troops, we didn't like praise it. You know, like we were super skeptical about everything like the whole time. So to have all these people now acting so excited when they never, when they were skeptical of Obama's proposals too, it's just very odd. Well, and I also, don't get it. how come the framework isn't, wow, it's crazy that Trump added all these troops. I mean, it's good that he's taking them out, but what the fuck? Like, how come we didn't talk about the fact that he yeah. added yeah, yeah. all of these troops? No one's talking about that. It's almost yeah. like that was already like an accepted, like, oh, well, these troops were there. No, they weren't there already. They, it's, a, it's an oversimplified narrative. Those people you're talking about who don't talk about Trump adding troops will talk about how Obama, mm-hmm. Obama added troops. They won't talk about the ways that Trump increased it. They'll just talk about how he inherited it. And that's odd to me. You know, I don't know if they're being disingenuous on purpose or if they've actually bought into Trump's rhetoric. Or they're so reacting so much to the, like, the way that the, you know, the resistance in the media is going against Trump that I, I don't, I don't get it. And this could mean multiple things. This could mean that the U.S. is going to increase its aerial bombardment it could mean that it's going to relinquish some of the control to israel to up its aerial bombardment it could mean as we know trump had a conversation with erdogan recently before this announcement it could mean that he's simply giving a green light to erdogan to further encroach into syria so there's several components that we need to explore theoretically um once this unfolds that's why i'm just like urging caution for people to just see what happens um, but yeah, a lot, a lot could be afoot here with the serious stuff specifically. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the first things I thought was, you know, people like Bolton, John Bolton, even Pompeo and other, um, hawks that surround Trump have long suggested that actually overthrowing Assad in Syria as part of this sort of larger, you know, U.S. imperialistic plan to, you know, convert the Middle East into our, all of our puppet states. The, the idea of overthrowing Assad is actually not a useful one because, you know, these neocons have long believed that Assad is completely propped up by, by Iran. And they've even used this phrase that if they cut off the head of the snake, which is overthrowing or changing the regime in Iran to a pro-U.S. puppet regime, then Assad will fall um, as a result. Bolton is one of the main people, and he's an outlier from a lot of the rest of the neocons because he hasn't really pushed the idea of overthrowing Assad specifically. He has, however, said that he thinks Assad will fall if the Iranian government falls. So he's looking at it like that. So this could be some kind of long con. I mean, if it was thought out, and, you know, this idea, like Rand Paul is like, oh my God, I... Wish I was in the room to see John Bolton's face when Trump said he was going to pull out the troops. I mean, I can't believe John Bolton. Man, it's so satisfying to know John Bolton's going to be in there for the next, 
you know, ter- pr- that, tr- of, Trump's term, cool. of Trump's term Super having to cool. end the wars. Wow, dude. Yeah. So that, so, but it's interesting because if this wasn't just like a brash decision by, on Trump's part, and it was something that um, was being thought out, it makes me wonder if this is so that Iran will fill the vacuum or they want something to happen with mm-hmm. Iran. That's an interesting. They're, they're trying to egg angle. Iran on. I mean, it could be. Trump is saying weird stuff like let other countries deal with it, like let Turkey deal with it. He's not saying anything about Iran at all, but that sends a signal to Iran. It's almost like a cartoonish neoconservative view that maybe they're trying to make the same calculation they did with the Ukrainian Euromaidan protest. If shit gets out of control here, maybe we could bait Putin into doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a similar thing. I mean, I don't know. Right. I mean, if this isn't Trump's decision, I'm saying if he like actually was talked about this with other people, it could be some kind of power play. I do not believe that Trump makes any policy decisions on his own. Um, as we know, the kind of haphazard announcement of the Muslim ban and the child separation policy was the doing of Stephen Miller. Um, so even though that seemed really like poorly laid out mm-hmm. and caused a giant shit show. That still was a policy being enacted by like the most sinister neo-Nazi elements of his administration. And so I just do not think I think that there's a Bannon-esque current that is in his ear talking about the isolationism um, and how he can embolden that aspect of his base while still, like we said, expanding the empire in all of these other regions. So you don't think that on some level he's intelligent enough to intuit that himself like that he because he was he was doing this kind of stuff even before steve bannon came onto his campaign like he it seemed like he knew how to yeah but still he wouldn't do it by himself he wouldn't do this by himself no no make you mean making the decision no you're right about that but i'm wondering if he just if he just wants to get people in the blob outraged Mm -hmm. to move the needle and he knows he can do that by saying i'm just gonna pull out all the troops what if i do that and then he can be like, yeah. why is the media criticizing me for pulling the truth? Exactly. I feel, I feel like I've seen enough of him now to think that he's capable of coming up with all those steps in the decision-making process himself. Should we move on to Afghanistan and talk about what's going on there? Yeah. Afghanistan, uh, longest U.S. war in history, 17 years, going on 17 years, actually going on 18 years now. Moving into 2019, that's really scary. Opium production's at all-time high. The Taliban is now in control of more territory than ever before. In fact, when you put a a map of the Taliban control of territory over the actual population density, um, it's stunning because they really do control all of the populated areas. So that really shows you kind of the stalemate that's existed for a long time. But of course, that has not stopped the U.S. from relentlessly bombing Afghanistan When Obama left office, there were 8,400 U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Now there's 15,300. So the 7,000 troops that Trump is talking about withdrawing, again, are troops that he added. He added those troops to Afghanistan. I'm surprised there was only, that's surprising there was only 8,400 troops in Afghanistan when Obama left office. Right across that, but just imagine for a second across. I don't mean I don't know where they were concentrated, but that country's huge, right? You know, like what's even the point at that point? It really does beg the question: Why are like what is the even the like ulterior motives for still being there? What are, they're not even really building anything. Yeah, the they're pipelines not, not being the, built. The minerals. I don't know. 
I mean, yeah, because if they're pulling out the troops, if they're pulling out even more troops, how are they going to get this like mining operation to go through? I mean, it could just be another Vietnam era, like hubris thing or arrogance where the U.S. just does not want to admit defeat and just like pull out of an 18 year war having nothing. Could be. yeah. But I don't know. The most shocking thing about Afghanistan is that, you know, opium, Taliban control, all of that aside, Afghanistan today is suffering the highest number of fatalities from the entire war. No, not when the invasion happened and not when Obama's troop surge happened. Now, yeah, now, now, under yeah. Trump's bombs. Yeah. Trump presided over a 52% increase in civilian casualties in just the first nine months in office, yeah. according to the UN AMA. We already talked about the Moab. Um, but yeah, this is this is the reality in Afghanistan. And at the height of Obama's troop surge, there were 100,000 U.S. troops. So that means, why didn't we praise Obama for ending the Afghanistan war, for pulling all those troops out and yeah. just leaving 7,000? Because that's what the number is going to be when Trump yeah. pulls out the troops, the same number that Obama left. Why didn't we praise Obama for ending the Afghanistan war? Yeah, because he was, because he was so much of a part of the increase from the Bush administration's war on terror. And I guess maybe because Trump's doing this soon enough into his presidency, he's saying this soon enough to give people who are still holding out hope some kind of bone to grab onto that he's like throwing out to them. But Obama actually pulled back way in late in the game. Mm-hmm. So by the time everybody lost any faith in him who thought he was actually going to pull back on empire, by the time he actually started to do little things like not authorize the bill to send offensive weaponry to Ukraine, like nobody was cared. Right. Like, I remember even The Intercept. I mean, all these, like, anti-imperialist publications, hardly any of them, like, wrote about that. Obama just increased so much shit. It was just like that was totally off the radar. I think that Trump's given so much more of a pass. You said this to me before. Because he's not masked in that liberal humanitarian language like Obama was. And so people glommed on to pointing out what a fucking hypocrite Obama was. But for some reason, Trump, it's like, well, of course Trump is, you know... We don't expect anything from him, but for some reason we're praising any menial thing that he does. Yeah. This could mean a couple things. It could mean that we're close to a peace agreement with the Taliban. There's been an impasse for years, and so there's a huge stalemate, and it's been, it's been uh, hypothesized for quite a while now that we're very close to a peace agreement. The U.S., of course, wants permanent military installations in Afghanistan, and the Taliban is refusing to allow that to happen. So that's where the negotiations have come to a head. Um, but who knows? Maybe it could come in the guise of peacekeeping forces that are more affiliated with NATO. Another option, of course, is increasing bombings and air raids, just like he has been since he took office. And the third option, Trump's close advisor, Eric Prince, that fascist anti-Muslim bigot who was the CEO of Blackwater, he has been in talks with Trump forever about privatizing the war. So that could be exactly what's happening here. We don't know. If you don't remember, uh, Blackwater actually changed its name to... They went through two name changes, didn't they? Z and Academy. 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 So they changed names. They got you know huge contracts during the Bush administration for Afghanistan and Iraq. As we were saying earlier, Fallujah, the, you know, the siege on Fallujah was done as revenge for four Blackwater employees getting taken out of their cars and and killed um, in Iraq. But just a few days ago, uh, right after Mattis announced that he's leaving and that Trump 
floated the idea of of uh, withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, withdrawing half the troops, because we should say that he didn't actually announce that. He only announced the Syria thing, I think, specifically. Okay. A few days after that happened, uh, Blackwater, the company, actually going back to their original name that they hadn't used for something like 10 years, put out a full-page ad in Recoil magazine, which actually is the January-February issue of the magazine, and it has the company's logo, their old school logo, Blackwater with the bear paw in the middle of what looks like crosshairs, and just the war- the sentence "We are coming" in the middle of the uh, the ad with an all black background. So what a dystopian fucking hellhole we live in! That Blackwater can come back as Blackwater yeah, with like a threatening ad, um, <laughs> and so there was an you know there was an article running on. Uh, Actually, this is on Military Times. It's not even on, I thought it was on RT, but Military Times wrote an article speculating that this could mean that those talks that you're referring to between Trump and Eric Prince might actually evolve into something real where the Afghanistan war could be partly privatized. So if half the troops leave, you can easily hire 7,000 private citizens working for a company like Blackwater to fill in that whole and also the, those people aren't held accountable to u.s military rules of engagement they can't be prosecuted hardly at all it just sets a really bad precedent and it's just bizarre <laughs> as fuck that we already know that's been going on in the background and that this could be actually what will happen oh yeah and and how hilarious is it that he has actually drastically increased since the obama era talk about you know everyone's like oh well at least he hasn't started a new war it's like, well, what do you consider a new war? Obama had done something like 10 airstrikes on Somalia the year before Trump got in office. And then as soon as Trump gets in, Trump does 20 airstrikes the first year he's in office in Somalia. And wasn't he actually doing some kind of like ground operation in Niger too? Yes. And then fucking 45 airstrikes this year in Somalia from the Trump administration. That's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. The ramping up of airstrikes there is mind-blowing. You're talking about Trump expanding the wars, and if we really want to understand how he's expanded the wars and started new wars, it's all with the sanctions. First, before we get into the sanctions, let's get into Iraq, because you can't talk about this alleged war on ISIS in Afghanistan and Syria without understanding that Iraq is a part of it. And on Christmas night, I think Melania and Trump went to Iraq and visited troops for the first time. Is that correct? And that's like a big thing that people are like, oh my God, he was guilted into go visiting the troops. I couldn't give less of a fuck if Trump visits the troops or not. So I think that's a really dumb talking point. Uh, But yeah, so he visited the troops in Iraq. He also declared on that visit that he has no plan to withdraw those troops. Mm -hmm. So let's just get this out of the way. Under Obama, the number of troops did drop. He came into a full-blown war. Remember, 180,000 soldiers when Bush left office. That's fucking mind-blowing. Obama did slowly drop those troops out, um, in part due to the resilience of the Iraqi people, you know, from the Iraq war cables, from Chelsea Manning, the Blackwater, the Nasir massacre, all of these things compounded really did force the withdrawal. So Obama withdrew, left 5,000 troops through the last couple of years of his administration. So by this logic, like you said, we should have paraded Obama around as ending the U.S. empire's war in the Middle East. Yeah, or folding back U.S. empire. It's just so weird to be in this position now to actually 
feel like we have to set the record straight because it's like we spent literally eight years straight almost. I mean, we weren't doing the podcast from the very beginning of the Obama administration. We did this in like 2010. We were against Obama's foreign policy. All we did was criticize how it's he's falling short of every promise he made. Mm-hmm. This is not good enough. He's still leaving troops in Iraq, so it's not a real withdrawal. Yeah. I mean, we never gave him any credit for anything except for like his last year of his administration where he didn't actually Do overthrow Ukraine Assad, thing, yeah. pulled the, back from the yeah. red line or whatever, and then didn't send weapons to Ukraine. That's it. That's like all we praised him for. We literally didn't give him an inch with anything else. So it's insane to have to sit here and be like, actually, you're being way too kind to Trump and giving like all these free past him because if, but yeah, by that same logic, you would have to praise Obama, which we never did. But people might be like, well, why are you defending Obama? It's like, no, we're not. We're just trying to explain to you how ridiculous it is to praise Trump. Right. And it also, doesn't make sense. what's even weirder, Robbie, is that Trump basically did start a new war in Iraq. Obama did kick up the number of troops at the very tail end of his administration, quote unquote, to fight ISIS yeah. right after the Libya fucking disaster. Um, but guess what Trump did? He came in and nearly doubled, doubled the amount of troops Jesus in Iraq. Christ. And not only that, Robbie, he bombed the shit out of Iraq, just like he did all these other countries. In one single series of U.S. airstrikes in 2017, over 500 civilians were killed at once. It was known as the Mosul Massacre, the single largest death toll inflicted since the war began in 2003. I don't even remember hearing about that. Wow. I guess the media was too busy just talking about how Trump was uh, in bed with Putin. That blood is on Trump's hands. 500 people in one series of airstrikes. That's fucking nuts. Do we even know how many people were even killed in the Moab? No. We didn't even have a death count of that. No, So the biggest bomb used short of a nuclear weapon ever in the history of warfare. This wasn't just him dropping it in a field to show off. He dropped it on apparent enemy territory. We don't even know how many people. I mean, that's insane. Well, the population of the area was 15,000 people. Holy shit. I remember posting that because I looked it up immediately. I looked up how many people live in this province that he just dropped this bomb and it had a population of 15,000. And I wrote that. People were like, you fucking idiot. That bomb didn't kill 15,000 people. I was like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this was a populated area. And these were not just ISIS caves. And the problem is that they were blocked Journalists were blocked, government officials were blocked, and like aid workers were blocked from the area after yeah. the strike. So we have no idea what happened there. But it's really hard to assess the reality. It is. That's why people are like falling prey and susceptible to so many bad things. Is Trump a good a good persuader? Like is he able to make people just believe? Think? I like, think it's still the treatment from the media and just like the Mattis yeah. thing, it made him seem like he really was standing up to the generals. It's like, have we forgotten that he picked these generals? Well, yeah, that's what's It's so- not like he just like got handpicked by like the deep state and then he's turning against them. He literally handpicked all of the people who are around him. And when you look at who he actually picked, that shit gets real dark, dude. You forget how crazy the people Trump picked are. Mike Pompeo, he's a psychopath. He believes in the apocalypse. He, he was at some think tank saying all of politics is a struggle for the rapture. That's what Pompeo fucking thinks. He put this guy in charge of the CIA? This Crazy. guy? He's a Koch brother puppet. His entire political career has been curated by the Koch brothers. Um, he's revolting. He runs a defense contractor corporation, Mike Pompeo. 
So this is this guy. He's, he, he's also advocated the execution of Julian Assange, um, Edward Snowden. Like this guy was in charge of the CIA. That's just Mike Pompeo. Um, look at John Bolton. Look at Nikki Haley, this woman who essentially was working for Israel. Like mm. what message was that sending to Israel by handpicking Nikki Haley to be the ambassador? It's nuts. Um, so, yeah, we forget who Trump picked. And we like to think that Trump's standing up to someone because the people he handpicked to surround him are now fighting with him. It's so weird. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't stress this enough that just because the people that you hate, like Bill Kristol and Hillary Clinton and all these like DC, you know, neoliberal people are railing against Trump for the mostly the wrong reasons, doesn't mean you can ignore the people that Trump has picked. Like, it doesn't mean that Trump is good. It, or that he has like this is this counterweight to the actual what really is the deep state apparatus in this country. I mean, just the military industrial complex alone. Obviously, he's not a counterweight to that. Right. And le- I mean, unless you think that just pulling out the ground troops, you know, the very small, frankly, and I and I hate to downplay troops being in another country, but compared to before, it's not that many troops he's pulling back. So to say that that's him doing a counterweight to the military industrial complex is not, would not be accurate at all. Everything else he's done is like completely encourage him. The Boeing guy being used to temporarily replace Mattis. And then on top of that, there's already been a a lot of talk in the media. This seems like it's being leaked from the Trump administration that they want to hire Jack Keane to replace uh, Mattis. And Jack Keane, in case you don't know who he is, is a, he's a regular on Fox news. He's a talking head. I think he's an ex general that appears on there all the time. Um, he's the chairman for the Institute for the Study of War, uh, an entirely defense contractor funded think tank ran by the Kagan family. Jack Keane actually co-wrote the Iraq surge paper with Fred Kagan that ended up actually becoming adopted by the Bush administration for the surge. So, you know, Elliot Abrams was also floated for so secretary of deep, state. So classic anti-deep state guy. Classic. Okay, so Trump is a revolting, disgusting, imperialist monster who gleefully talked about authorizing things worse than waterboarding, torturing suspected terrorists' families, carpet bombing neighborhoods, lifting the rules of engagement, expanding the military to its biggest size ever, which he did. He authorized a near trillion dollar defense budget, 500 million of which is going to deter Russian aggression in the Baltics. 700 million more going to Israeli air defense, more weapon, 500 million also to Ukraine. Well, it's so on top bizarre. of that. Because how is Bill Crystal right. just sitting there acting like Trump is the biggest, it's, it's like so new Hitler. These are all, these are all things, are that, all he things loves. that they like. I know. This is like shit that they dreamt about. I know. And, and they jerked off to. Yeah. And then he also created, let's not forget, he created another branch of the military. He created the Space Force, which is another PNAC wet dream. Um, he created that shit, man. And again, surrounded himself with the most grotesque cabinet of warmongering neocons and bloodthirsty war criminals. How can you discount that? I know. How can you discount the fact that he's still growing the military to its biggest size? Mm -hmm. He said the military was small. He said he wanted in true authoritarian fashion to see some fucking military parade and spend like millions of dollars just showing a sheer show of force. Like again, what we project on DPRK he wanted to do that shit here. That's why I think we're stuck in this weird paradigm. And it's not a weird paradigm. I can understand it. Sending in ground troops anywhere is, is, is like the worst 
is like has so many bad implications and it seems like that's the worst thing you can do but when you look at empire and look at the history of it you know all the other things that it does too to sort of extend its reach and it's not just sending in ground troops i mean that is one terrible horrific aspect of it a military occupation but there are other forms of military occupation having not respecting the sovereignty of a country's airspace and just constantly flying drones over it that is a form of military occupation there's just no human soldiers on the ground like or you you're know committing there are, terrorism you're yeah, terrorizing so, civilians yeah and and so and and i just i just don't understand <laughs> why people can't see i mean it, just expanding the military in and of itself to the highest level it's ever been the amount of money in it the budget that is not pulling back from the even the edges of u.s empire Oh, and I haven't even gotten to the arms deals that he's doing, record-breaking arms deals to all of these countries. He immediately lifted all of the Obama-era restrictions on, like, Bahrain to just sell them billions of dollars worth of armaments. My biggest question about Syria, will the U.S. bases remain? I think that the answer is going to be yes. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy, Robbie. It's really crazy. And we can't forget that Trump has escalated and ramped up sanctions to a point that is totally unprecedented. So I was looking at Enigma Labs. They track sanctions from the mm -hmm. U.S. Obama did administer sanctions, hundreds of them, especially when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. He did administer yeah. hundreds of sanctions. Trump has escalated sanctions on nearly every, actually every single area that Trump did. Uh -huh. So let's start with Iran. Trump upended, of course, the historic nuclear deal and slapped 143 sanctions that have since completely debilitated the entire country. People cannot get life-saving medication. These are the effects of sanctions. They are absolutely an act of war. It's outrageous to say that they're not an act of war. Um, the empire uses sanctions because it drives the global economy. You have to trade oil in U.S. dollars. Like That's why the U.S. can throw around its economic weight. But... It's just shocking when you see the amount of leverage used economically under Trump. North Korea slapped 80 sanctions on top of the 74 applied by Obama. So keep that in mind. Two years in and he's already done more than Obama about North Korea. Allegedly, this peace president who wants peace between North and South Korea. That's weird. Why is he slapping 80 sanctions on them? Yeah. Well, this is his 40 chess, I guess. This is how he makes deals, people would say. Oh, check this out. In Syria... 287 sanctions. That's double the amount that Obama slapped on Syria. Why is that? Wow. Almost 300 sanctions on Syria. Hmm. That's going to be a hard recovery. Jesus Pick up Christ. the country. Huh. Um, Libya, 43 sanctions. Russia and Ukraine. He's kind of defied that notion of a Putin puppet by adding 105 sanctions on top of Obama's four Annexing Crimea, alleged meddling in the election, and the attempted poisoning of Skripal. Isn't that bizarre? Oh, I forgot the Skripal yeah. thing. And what's funny is he's never actually said anything about the Skripal thing. It seemed like people really wanted him to say something. He never budged on saying something. So it's interesting that he did something so drastic, but never said anything. What's that about? I mean, it's just more behind the scenes maneuvering to get these countries to bend to our will. But do you think without it being like in the news? So you think he knows that it'll be in the news if he says it, and, th and then he doesn't want it to make news. Like, That's you think he's intentionally too. 
trying not to make news with doing just that specifically. Yeah, he's not going to go out there and announce all these sanctions on all these countries. But oddly enough, but the Robbie, Iran stuff, he was, you know, certain well, ones Well, Venezuela he did. too. Yeah. But the yeah. ones that are like pleasing the blob, yeah. he's not. So That's, he's kind of playing both sides. Again, talking out of yeah. both sides of his mouth. So he's, so the ones that please the blob, he's not saying it out loud to please the blob. Mm-hmm. So who does it please? I mean, it's rare to have presidents like announce all of these sanctions. No, no, so we're I, talking right. about like hundreds you're of right. sanctions. No, but I guess the Skripal's thing, let's not just say that, okay, I guess going back, just the idea that he never said anything about it at all, even when like Theresa May and Macron uh-huh. were saying that the reason we're bombing Assad now is because of the Skripal's thing. Like they mentioned that. So yeah. like he never mentioned it at all. And it seemed like there's just all this building pressure. So I'm just wondering, but you're right. I mean, you're right. Most presidents don't announce announce sanctions. Whatever their form, they are war. They do not hurt the intended government like the U.S. likes to claim. They instead hurt the most poor and vulnerable sectors of society. They punish the poorest people. Yeah. They prevent crucial access to food, medicine, and other imported goods or other things that are have to do with the U.S. economy and the global economy. Let's just go to Latin America because this is, you know, Trump hasn't started any new wars. Oh, really? Because amazingly, I was all fucking critical of Obama for adding those seven sanctions on Venezuela. All of a sudden in 2015, Obama announced Venezuela as a unique national security threat. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, that's so bizarre. Why are we focusing on Venezuela again? Oddly enough, Bush didn't slap any sanctions during his term against Chavez, even though he hated him. Wow, dude. Yeah. Zero. That's crazy. Yeah. So Trump, or I'm sorry, so Obama gets in and adds seven randomly. Yeah. Trump has absolutely set his sights on destroying Latin America. This troika of tyranny speech by John Bolton, that Uh was an announcement of sanctions against Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela. And Venezuela has been slapped with 63, 63 sanctions because Trump has a laser focus on overthrowing Maduro. Yeah. 63 fucking sanctions. I mean, this is totally undermining any chance of economic recovery. Yeah. And then they'll point further to venezuela's inability to recover and be like see that's socialism with venezuela the generals were holding back trump if it weren't for the generals surrounding trump we would already have been invading venezuela because trump wanted to invade venezuela and he's and it's he's on record saying when can we go in when can we go in so yeah trump has started new wars all over latin america the sanctions are wars so the sanctions alone really crystallized what trump is doing behind the scenes, um, especially with this deal making that he likes to boast. Well, this is the deals. These are the deals that Trump's making, crushing all of the countries that don't bow down to the U.S. empire and apparently just uh, forcing them to capitulate to whatever our demands are. So that's what's going on behind the scenes. And I was stunned um, at the number of sanctions and the fact that no one's really talking about this. So again, all of this that we went over is a preview to an Empire Files series that you guys should really check out, go to the Empire Files on YouTube and subscribe. And if you're already doing that, please go to Media Roots, Abbey Media Roots YouTube channel and subscribe because we upload segments from this podcast on our YouTube channel. And it's fun. We just kind of upload random segments. If you don't have time to listen to the entire podcast, you can go on and listen to segments. But anyway, please subscribe to both of those channels because coming up on Empire Files, we're releasing an entire series on every region of the world and explaining what Trump is doing, and it will absolutely stun you. Like Robbie said, we're not downplaying the notion of how important it is to withdraw troops. Like, obviously, that's a no-brainer. Of course, all troops should be removed. We just really want to be careful without 
you know, we really want to be careful about not conflating the idea of removing troops with ending the U.S. empire's wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, or acting like that's, you know, with all these other things in place, you got to look at the whole totality of it. Because all, I mean, a lot of the things we've been saying, not just some of the things about sanctions, which are things I didn't even know about, but a lot of things we're saying are obvious. So just look at the facts. Look at his actions. His rhetoric cannot be trusted. Whenever there's some U.S. maneuvering in terms of militarism, usually means that there's buildup and focus elsewhere um, and a strategy in place. You know, looking at the sanctions, looking at Latin America, it's pretty obvious that, you know, the same kind of gaggle of neocon criminals who destroyed and eviscerated the Middle East with the axis of evil are now wanting to do the same thing to Latin America. Because John Bolton has been there this whole time. And we could spend, you know, an hour talking about what he's been doing with Iran, the saber rattling, um, the Iran team at the State Department. All the signs are really troubling and I'm just astonished that people are celebrating this who should who should know better. Absolutely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, just trying to sort through the madness. It's very important to provide context and nuance and uh, a little bit of geopolitical perspective here. Thanks so much, everyone. Really hope you guys have a great new year, and hopefully next year we're on a better trajectory. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please consider donating to Media Roots Radio via Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Radio, you can donate to us as little as $1 per episode we release. So thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Have a great new year. Happy holidays.